Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast. Our vision is changing lives in a changing culture with the unchanging truth. Our prayer is that these weekly messages will inspire you to life change through the principles found in God's Word. For more information, visit us online at LifeGateBurleson.com. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. I'll have the same reaction first service about that song. They're like, what is this man about to do? My name is Pastor Joshua. I'm really excited for you guys. You already know that. Why am I introducing myself? Um, you guys, that is a track that I really, really love. Um, the reason I chose that is because uh, all my family is from the Chicago area, and so Chance the Rapper is also from Chicago. Um, I realized uh, when I moved to Burleson how much I actually loved hip-hop. Like, I like it a lot, but when I moved here, I realized how much I liked it. And um, the other reason I chose that track is the track is titled How Great Is Our God, uh, or How Great Actually. And the first three minutes of that song is just literally declaring the chorus, How Great Is Our God, Name Above All Names, that old school uh, song that we listen to. And so that's why I chose that this morning. Um, but this morning, I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Thank you for uh, coming this morning and giving me an opportunity just to share with you for a few minutes. Um, as I said last week during our offering, my wife and I have now been here for three and a half years. We are so excited uh, to be a part of what God is doing here in Burleson and here at LifeGate Church, and I'm so grateful for this uh, church family. You guys have welcomed us in so much, and this is home for us, and I'm just so thankful for that. I'm also really grateful for our staff that makes coming to work every day a blast. It's a genuine blast to work here every day. Yeah, give it up for our staff. They're really incredible. Um, and also for Pastor uh, Chad and Amber as well. They are just absolutely phenomenal leaders. And um, as they are away getting rest, revitalized, and God is renewing their vision for the next season of LifeGate, uh, we are just so grateful for them. And I cannot wait to see what is in store for us in the next season. Amen. So this morning as uh, we, we talk, the thing I really want to talk about this morning is faith in our identity. Faith in our identity. We live in a world where there are constantly, constantly things that are pulling at us, trying to tell us who we are and what we should do and how we should act and what we should feel. We have social media that's constantly trying to get us to compare ourselves to the person that's just a little bit further in our lives. Chad talked about that a while ago. It's people's highlight reels and we want to like come up to that highlight reel. We have news, we have advertising, we have all these things that are trying to get us to a place where we are being changed by this world. But uh, John 17 says that we are to be in this world, but not of it. We are called to be people who change the world, not be changed by the world. We are called to be people that flip a city, not be flipped by it. Amen? So this morning, as we go into, our, uh, into the scriptures this morning, we're going to pray and dive right in, all right? Jesus, thank you so much, God, for this incredible opportunity. Father God, I ask this morning, Father God, that you have your way in this place, God, that everything that comes from this platform, God, will just be something that gives you glory. Every word, every illustration, everything, God, will be what gives you glory. Have your way here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So will you guys open your Bible, your apps, your phones, or look on the screens uh, to Mark 10 this morning as we dive in. Mark 10, 13 through 16. 
It says that one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so that he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them. So just to set the stage a little bit for where this passage is coming from, Jesus has been on the scene for a little bit. He's already like gone to Jerusalem, 12-year-old, done all that, been baptized. He's been teaching. He's been healing. He's been, you know, doing all the Jesus stuff. That's amazing. Um, but then he comes back to Judea. And even at the start of this chapter, what he's doing is there are rabbis and there are Pharisees who are coming to Jesus. They're trying to confound him and stump him and try to say, these are our traditions. Try to deal with that. You know what I mean? Because Jesus is coming to break through these religious obstacles, to break through this religious oppression that has held people in place that has told them that you stay right here so that we can uh, use religious practices to almost manipulate you into doing what we want to do. But Jesus came to bust through that. Jesus came to bust through religiousness. He came to bust through the normal. And he came so that you could live a life in the fullness of what God has for you. He came that you could live a life with restored relationship with the Father. That is exactly why Jesus came. And so the first point that I want to make, just diving into that text a little bit, is faith like a child. That was one thing that really stuck out to me in that text, is to have faith like a child, faith in who he is. See, when Jesus says that, when he says to have faith like a child, it's not because children are naive and that children will just blindly believe everything that you say. The reason Jesus tells us to have faith like a child and those who have faith like a child will inherit the kingdom of heaven is because faith like a child is having just the complete and utter confidence in what is being told to you. The complete and utter confidence, no matter the circumstance, no matter what is possibly hindering you in your life, it's having that complete confidence in what you say. I mean, just think about my kids. My kids are amazing. I have Ella, who is eight, and I have Emma, who is two. They're the most adorable kids on the planet. And, but when I tell them that dinner is at five o'clock, they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that dinner is at five o'clock, and when it hits 5.01, if there's not dinner on that table, we are being reminded by our eight-year-old who can now tell time. (laughs) Thank you, Burleson ISD. She can tell time. Um, she, and she knows. Why? Because she has complete and utter confidence that her parents are going to provide for her. There is not one moment in that, from the time that we say dinner's at five until five o'clock where she's like, I wonder if we have enough food. I wonder what's going to happen. She has no wonder about that because she has complete and utter faith that dinner will happen that evening. Because the very definition of faith is complete trust and confidence in someone or something. Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. Again, she heard it, she knew it, and it was confidence that it was going to be carried out. Every time that I see Romans 10, verse 17, 
I think about my parents and uh, my growing up. My parents are actually here in the audience. Give it up for them. They're in the second row. Look at them. They came from Virginia Beach to uh, just to be with us this morning. Um, I know, right? They're such great parents. They're so great. Um, but what I think about every time that I read that verse is I think about when I was about 12 or 13 years old, um, I remember this story, and I told my mom I was going to tell her this story, and it was going to embarrass her a little bit, but, you know, it helps me, so it's, it's not a big deal. <laughs> um, but anyways, so when I was about 12 or 13, I was a rambunctious child. That's to put it the most mildly I can possibly put it. I was, I was full of trouble all the time. I got grounded constantly, all these things. And so my mom and I got into a uh, heated discussion downstairs uh, which was essentially, I was wrong, and she was telling me how wrong I was. Um, and I'm, I'm 13 years old, and I like to be right. Um, but anyway, so all these things, so I sprint up the stairs. She's like, boy, I'm gonna, because my mom's an old school, like, you know, woman, I'm gonna beat your butt, boy. And so she is like, ready to do that, and I'm six foot tall, 200 pounds, and she's like, I don't care how big you are, I'm gonna take you down. And so I was like, no, you're not. And I sprinted up the stairs, and I was like, and I locked the door to my room, because I'm like, I'm safe. I'm so safe in this room with the locked door. And then every person who is a child, who has been a child or whatever, knows the steps that are either coming up the stairs or coming down the hallway and the fear that fills your life when foot are coming towards you. You know what I'm saying? And so she's walking up the stairs and she like tries to open it and it's locked. And I'm like, ah, it's locked. You can't get in here. And she pounds on the door and she's like, open the door or I will kick it down. And I was filled with the most fear that I ever have, but I'm still a child. And I didn't know this faith comes by hearing thing yet. I just knew like the door is locked. You cannot come through here. So I put myself in the back corner of the room thinking that that would somehow protect me from what was going to happen. And she knocked again and said, open the door or I'm going to break it down. And I was like, I said no, which is really just a terrible, if you gain anything from what I've said so far, don't say no, okay, to your, to your angry mother. Like, it's just a terrible decision. And so she then busted through the door. Oh, there goes my computer. And she was like, boy, where you at? And she's like, mama, no, please don't do it. And she proceeded to wear my butt out. I don't think I sat for a week. I mean... It was awful, but why? Because she told me she was gonna break down the door, and then she did, but I didn't learn the faith lesson until after, you see what I'm saying, like that? That's how it worked. So I embarrassed my mom, and then I told her I would tell her a story that I love her, I care about, she's amazing. So the other thing that I learned from my mom growing up was, my mom is a prayer warrior. She is an absolute prayer warrior, and I'm so grateful for that. And I just remember growing up, like, I mean, I was, I could have the sniffles, and my mom was like rolling up her sleeves and ready to speak in tongues like, sniffles in Jesus' name. Like she was, I'm not kidding, she was ready to go. But what she taught me through that was that God cares about every aspect of your life. There is nothing too big, there is nothing too small that God cannot do. And she taught me that over and over and over. And there was moments even growing up when I would tell my mom something, she's like, well, let's pray. I'm like, mom, I just need $20. Like, can I please? Well, let's ask Jesus. And I'm like, 
Jesus has cattle on a thousand hill. I think he could, we can have $20. But, but that was instilled in me at such a young age that it really just propelled me into, like even where I'm at today, but it propelled me into this place where when I was in my early 20s, um, my wife had already gone to Missouri uh, as a trip to, uh, for the holidays, and I was going to follow her afterwards. I was working at a church in North Carolina. We had services the night before, and so the services didn't get over till like midnight, and so I didn't get home till one o'clock, and I didn't pack because my wife wasn't there, and so I had to get all these things taken care of. And then uh, the place where our church was was two hours away from the closest airport, and I had a 6 a.m. flight. So I had a very, very, very short evening. Um, but what happened was, so I get there, I get through all the baggage stuff, I do the claims, I do all these things, and then I get to the airport, I put in my earbuds, and I like put my head back and I close my eyes. And the moment, like a couple moments go by, and I get awakened, I feel the Holy Spirit wake me up, and I see this guy who has crutches. They're around his arm, and he's walking through uh, the airport terminal. And I hear God say, I want you to pray for that man. And I was like, God, I'm so tired. I am so tired. Like that was going to make a difference. You know what I mean? Like we do that. Like, oh, I didn't know you were tired. Oh, let me talk to the next guy. Like that never works. It never works. I can tell you from experience it doesn't work. So I put my head back down after telling God I was tired. He wakes me up again. And he's like, I want you to pray for him. And so after going back and forth a little bit, I said, okay, God, I'll go pray for this man. I'll pray healing over him. And God said, I never told you to pray healing for him. I want you to play restoration over his family. And in that moment, something I got convicted of is that God, he does care about your physical. He cares about everything that's going on in your life. But he cares about your heart more than anything else. And that man had something going on in his heart that God wanted to touch and God wanted to heal. And so I pull out my earbuds, I walk over to this guy, and I have a conversation. And I find out that this man has not had the use of his legs since he was an infant. And he was in his early 40s. And he had bounced around from sibling to sibling to sibling, from parent to parent. And he felt like he was uh, a leech. He felt like he could not uh, have a full life and that he was draining their resources, draining their time, draining their energy because he could not work. And so I asked him if I could pray for him. I laid my hand on his shoulder and I said, God, I pray restoration over this man and his family. And so as I'm praying, this man starts screaming in an airport. He says, ah! Yeah, I like microphones. Um, <laughs> he starts screaming in an airport, and I'm like, I, I didn't do nothing like Jesus. Jesus told me to pray for which doesn't really work. I'm just letting you know. But like, I pull my hands out. I'm like, Jesus, he told me to do this. And this guy's like, there's a heat in my legs. There's a heat pulsating down my legs. And I want to be all spiritual. Let me continue to pray. Like, like I have anything to do with this. But so I continue to pray. And when I'm done, this guy is screaming. And he's saying, I can feel my legs. I can feel my legs. I can feel my legs. This man had no use of his legs from the time he was an infant to the time that God met him in an airport. And I didn't pray one word of healing over him. Why? Because God cares about your heart way more than he cares about anything out here. And again, it's not that he doesn't care about this. is he cares about this a ton more. So what happens next is I got grabbed by two TSA agents. P. 
wind <laughs> saying this is what's happening. And then we, there was more to the story, but that's all we have time for today. But I got to go home. I got to go home. No, I, didn't, I wasn't detained or anything. It was, it was great. They were, you know, Jimmy is awesome. We send Christmas cards to each other. It's all good. Um, but uh, the next one I want to take is that goes right into my next point is faith in who I am. Faith in who I am, what he says about me. See, parents and our caregivers and all that, we are given our identity within the first 18 months of our life. It's scientifically proven. Your traits, your characteristics, all those things are instilled in you in the first 18 months of your life. When I began to think about that, I began to think about just my family and how I was raised, my characteristics that were developed in me early. One was my dad. My dad is, uh, was in the military for 20 years, and he was B on time. My dad was on time to everything all the time, and that is instilled in me. If I'm not 15 minutes early someplace, I feel like I'm late all the time. Ask my wife. It drives her absolutely nuts. Like, baby, it starts in 45 minutes. I know, but we got to get there in 30. Like, there's 25 minutes of previews. I don't care. I want to sit down in the movie. The movie starts. Let's go. Uh, it's, it's a struggle. It's, a, it's an actual struggle. <laughs> the other thing my uh, dad worked hard to instill in me was uh, he's a Cubs fan, and so he bestowed on me the Cubs fanness, which is really, really great, which up until like three years ago was the worst decision that anybody could possibly make. For those of you who are not baseball fans, the Chicago Cubs did not win a World Series for 108 years. 108 years. My grandfather died without seeing a World Series from the Chicago Cubs. And so my dad was like, huh, why don't we make him a Cubs fan? That would be terrible. Like, I mean, that's what they instilled in me when I was born. Like, this is a great idea. Let's do that. But I'm loyal. I have been a loyal Cubs fan my entire life. So we touched on my mom. My mom is an incredible prayer warrior, and that was instilled in me when I was a child. Uh, the other one is being extroverted. If you know me even a little bit, I am the most extroverted individual you will ever, ever, ever meet. Ask anyone on staff. They close their doors because of how extroverted I am. I want to bust in and be like, hello, let's talk. And they're like, oh my gosh, I need to get work done. Will you leave me alone? See, they're laughing even in the room because they know what I'm talking about. That's just the way that I'm wired. And even with our kids, we were, my wife and I have been talking about that recently, just the, just the identity traits that our kids have. Our kids are literally, my daughter Ella is uh, literally a carbon copy of my wife, like her emotions, the way she processes all these things. She's, that's literally how Ella works. And Emma is two and she is small and she is fierce and she is like extroverted, she's bossy, she's amazing, I love her, but she is wired a lot like me. And so we've realized that even when, as we're raising them, like just the identity traits that we have passed on. What's the another thing that we do, as me and my wife, that we were so intentional about is we speak identity over our children. If you don't do it, I encourage you to do it. It is one of the best things a parent can do for your child is to speak identity over their lives. So every morning, we will tell them that they are strong, that they are beautiful, that they are amazing, that they are leaders, that you don't quit, that you do all these things. We do that every single morning. Sometimes even in the car when she's eating a Pop-Tart on her way to school and we'll be like, Ella, what, what are you, baby? She's like, I'm a leader. I'm strong. And you're like, man, we're, 
This is so exhausting. These are so great. Like these things are amazing that I'm saying to you. Why don't you get it? And, and there's moments that you think you don't. But then there's this, there was this time, it was I think a few months back, and I'm sitting on the couch with my daughter, and she's watching a competitive cooking show. We love competitive cooking in my house. It's really fun. And uh, there's these people all cooking different things. And there was this one guy that literally put, picked his apron off of him and threw it on his counter and said, I'm done. I quit. I give up. And out of nowhere, Ella stands up off the couch and says, you can't do that. <laughs> and we're like, what is the matter with you? He can't cook a souffle. Let him go. And she's like, no, he can't do that. We're like, why? Because Millers don't quit. <laughs> the chef's last name was Miller. And so she was like, he is not allowed to quit. And I was sitting there like, you're right, baby. Tell him not to quit. Because all those moments of in the car and all these things, I'm like, her identity, she found it. She found it that Millers do not quit. And that was instilled in her even at an early age. That's awesome, right? I love it. What's even more incredible is that as parents, even I, uh, as we instill value into our children, we instill identity that God instills our value. Jeremiah 1.5 says, I knew you while you were still in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. Before you were a twinkle in your parents' eye, God instilled value on your life. He said, I don't care about your upbringing. I don't care about your hardships. I own that one. I am assigning value to that one. So the next thing I want to do this morning, I've told this person that they're coming up and she's a little nervous. So let's give it up for Addie Benson. She's coming on the stage. I just want to continue on this, this value that God instills in us. Hey, Addie. Hello. Are you still nervous? You nervous still? Um, a little yeah. bit? Okay. Here, I'm going to make it worth your while. I have a $20 bill. Do you want that? <laughs> Would yeah. you like to have this? Yeah. Okay. What if I put this giant crease in it and I fold it up like that? Do you still want this? Yeah. Okay. What it's if? Better in my hold mold. on. Hold on. Yeah. What if I do? What if I do that? I crumble it up. And it's gross. It's nasty now. Do you still want that? It's still a twenty-dollar bill. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. What if I throw it over there? I'll go pick it up. And I stop it. <laughs> do you still want that? Yeah. Why? Because it has value. Exactly right. Exactly right. You can have that. Awesome. Thanks. Give it up for Adam. Because <laughs> it still has value. No matter how much it's crumpled, no matter how much it's folded, no matter how much it's been disregarded, it has value. So I'm here to tell you this morning that the creator of the universe assigned you value before you were even born. Knowing that one day you're going to be folded up. One day you're going to be stuck in somebody's pocket and forgot about. One day you're going to be crumbled up. One day you're going to be tossed and stomped on. But what happens is God still put value on your life and nobody can take that away from you. 
It doesn't matter how much you're thrown. It doesn't matter that. God cares about that and he wants to be there to help you. But it doesn't matter. No man can take your value away from you. And that brings me to my last point. It's about, it says faith and what he says. No matter the circumstance. Faith in what he says. When we go back to our text, Mark 10, 13, it says, One day some parents brought their child to Jesus so that he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. See, a lot of us, we get that. We get that who God is. We, we receive that. A lot of us even know who we are. We know what the Bible says about us. We know what God says about us. But then we start getting folded. Then we start getting crumpled up. We start getting tossed back and forth. We get stomped on. And then all of a sudden, that value is gone in our own eyes. We lose the thought and the sight of our value. But see, back in this text... Parents believed. Parents and the children believed what Jesus was saying. They believed that he was there to change the culture. They believed that he was there to give them the fullness of what God had for them. They believed that he wanted to restore relationship to their father. But then what happened? They were stopped. Not just by anybody. They were stopped by the disciples, the people who were closest to Jesus. See, back in Jewish culture, when rabbis and preachers would teach, they would teach and people were held back. And then after, they could be approached in an orderly fashion. That was tradition for the Jewish people. And so the disciples were not trying to be, you know, they weren't trying to be buttheads. Like they were like, Jesus was this guy who was trying to change the world. And they're like, well, if these are how these rabbis are treated, that's how our rabbis should be treated. And so they were holding them back. But imagine that. Imagine that you are wanting to get to Jesus. God, I want to get to you. I want to know the fullness of what I have in you. I want my relationship with the Father to be restored. But then there are these people, there are these things that are holding you back from getting to where Jesus is. And if we take a moment and just look at even just the occupations of the disciples, we can kind of see some of the things that held us, that can hold us in place. A lot of them were fishermen, which can be our work. A lot of times our work can hold us back from God. Whether my hours are too long, this job isn't really what I like, my coworkers are, you know, not nice. And... It can hold us back from where God is. Another one that was holding back was a tax collector. A lot of times we allow our money to hold us back. Saying, God, well, you know, if my bank account was good, I'd give. If I had more, then I wouldn't be stressed out, then I could do what, exactly what you have for me. Then I could believe what you're saying about me. Another one was a zealot. A zealot was somebody who was trying to overthrow the government and bring like radical rule to the region. So some of us, it is that. It is politics. It's the world view. We get caught up and we say, God, if you are real and you are who you say you are and I am who I, I am, all that, 
that why aren't you changing this? If our government is so messed up, why can't you change it? If the world is really going downhill so fast, why aren't you changing it? We allow that to hold us back from what God has for us. All that was holding back was Judas, who was a thief. And a lot of times we'll allow our sin and our shortcomings to hold us back from the fullness of what God has for us. But I'm here to tell you this morning, even with this scripture, that just on the other side of this is love. Because God is love. And again, these, these disciples that were standing here were not acting out of a malice. They were acting what they thought was right. But a lot of times fear can disguise itself as wisdom. To keep you in the place that you are and to keep you from coming into the fullness. See, fear is the exact opposite of love and perfect love casts out all fear. But I'm here to tell you this morning that just on the other side of fear is love and love wants to cast out any fear that might be holding you down this morning. Love is sitting just beyond your fear. In verse 14, he says, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. This morning, I want to close with talking about this story with my daughter. Um, for those of you who don't know, my wife and I, we just moved into a new house in the last uh, two months. We're really excited. We love it. Um, it's incredible. And so we moved into our house. And within like the first week, uh, our children love our bath. We have like this massive tub in our bathroom. And uh, Emma wanted to take a bath. And so she got in. There's like bubbles. It's like all picturesque. And Laura even sent me a picture. Like Emma's like this with light coming in. And she's like, oh, look at me. I'm in a bath. Um, that's my impression of Emma. Um, <laughs> so she's in the bath. She's doing all that. And then right after Laura sends me a picture, she, uh, Laura tells me that she drained the bath. And that tub is a little slick at the bottom of it. And so as Laura begins to drain the bath, she turns, and as she turns, Emma begins to fall. She slips, and Laura tries to grab her arm, and she falls face first into the water, bangs her head. She's a two-year-old underwater. And so because of that, the bath became a place of fear for our daughter. For two weeks, she would not get in the tub. We would try to put her in there, and I'm talking death grip in my arms. A two-year-old gave me bruises like on my arm. She would not get in that tub. We literally would have to like spray her with Febreze to come to church because she was just nasty. But then one day, two weeks later, we're sitting at the dinner table and it was time for a bath. All right, let's, it's time for a bath, let's go. And Emma, at the top of her lungs, no bath, no bath. And Ella is like, yeah, let's go do it. Let's go take a bath. She's great. And so I was like, what if daddy puts on some swimming trunks and I'll get in the tub with you? That'll be fun, right? And Ella's even more excited. Yeah, that's amazing. That didn't sway Emma at all. She's like, no bath, no. And so I still go and I get in the bath. We put, it, we put bubbles in there and, you know, pink toys and it's very manly. Um, but I go in the bath 
and she begins to walk in. I'm over exuberant with the amount of joy that we're having in this tub. Come on in, it's so great. And she's like, no Beth. Until finally Laura picks her up and just puts her in my arms screaming the entire time. She puts her in my arms and I hold her. And I say, it's okay, daddy has you. There's nothing to be afraid of. Daddy will keep you safe. And in that moment, for the next 15 minutes, I had to whisper in her ear, it's okay, daddy has you, you're safe. 15 minutes later, my daughter who would not get in the tub began to stand up, play, laugh, dance, have the most fun in a bath that she's had. And I'm here to tell you this morning that your father is sitting in your place of fear and he is saying, you are safe. I will take care of you. There is nothing to be afraid of. Daddy is here. Your father is sitting in the midst of that. And this morning, right when I said that, there was a lot of you who had just that, that moment that you, can, you automatically had something pop into your head. And this morning, we're gonna pray that God will insert himself into that place of fear. That God, I'm not gonna let fear hold me back from the fullness of what you have for me anymore.